Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and happy to give you actionable ideas to elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. First of all, thanks for listening. If you want to be a nonprofit leader or maybe more effective in the role you have now, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, find that share button. Usually it's within the episode graphic. The one I'm looking at has three dots. You can share it by clicking on that and find one of the person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. And this episode is a good one to share. I had a fantastic conversation with Michael Duvall, who brings nearly 40 years of experience within community-based nonprofit organizations. I don't know how he's been doing it for 40 years because he brings a youthful energy that would belie his age, uh, his experience, most notably with the YMCA, where he serves as the national director for boys and young men of color. But that's not all. Uh, He will share other activities and endeavors that he has been so successful throughout his career. And it's no surprise he brings a passion to this work. He has great ideas that will help you strengthen your leadership skills as well as the emerging leaders in your organization. And we unpacked all of it. We talk about these leadership skills and experience that helps you be more effective with your staff, with your board, in fundraising, as well as establishing your personal brand. All of that and much more. And so don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 131. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com and you'll find all of the resources Michael and I discuss, as well as more information on the great work he's doing for the Y in his Build Your Own Brand program and the work he's doing for My Brother's Keeper. Speaking of resources, go to our website, and while you're there, make sure you connect with us so you can be sure to get weekly episodes of the podcast just like this one. We're on all of the primary social media platforms, including YouTube now. For those of you who like to consume your podcasts through that channel, we're there. Check it out. Also, when you're on the homepage, you can get on our email list so you won't miss any of the resources we're producing. And you can also schedule a time to talk if you'd like to discuss your journey to nonprofit leadership with me, I'd be happy to do so. Uh, in fact, our next mastermind program, spring of 2022, we're taking applications right now. So if that is of interest, I'd be happy to talk to you about it and help you decide if it's a good fit. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Michael Duvall. Michael, thank you for joining me on the path. Hey, Patton, I am uh, so excited. And thank you, actually, for uh, giving an old man a chance to voice. (laughs) You are too young for me to use the old man phrase, but I am delighted to benefit from your wisdom, Michael, and excited about this conversation because you've succeeded on so many levels in our sector, you know, as a thought leader, as a community builder, as a nonprofit executive, but What I'm most impressed about, I think, is your genuine desire to give back. And I think it's a wonderful mindset for our nonprofit leader listeners to consider. So let me ask you that question first. You know, what inspired you to get involved in this sector in so many ways? 
Well, I, I mean, I think we'd have to go back. Uh, so I would say, uh, if I go back, what my inspiration is actually my own experience is who helped me? How did they help me? Uh, what did I learn from that help? I've been spending a lot of time, uh, I just turned 60. And so I have been spending some time actually searching out uh, friends of mine, even from my kindergarten class. And, you know, just to discover like, you know, and sometimes I hadn't talked to them in 30, 30, 35 years, but, but it's, what's the inspiration is actually to seed back what others gave me and the build a better bridge for young leaders. Right. And so I, my hope is to, if I can communicate nothing else today, it will be to communicate the young leaders, build a bridge, right? Don't break down bridges, build bridges. (laughs) Uh, Great advice. And we're going to talk about exactly that because I think it's very relevant to these young leaders, particularly those that are involved in nonprofit leadership. They have to be bridge builders. And you have set that example so well. Let me though, uh, expand on the work you do nationally for YMCA. Talk about that and what exactly you do there. So let me let me start with, uh, I um, am 38 years uh, in the YMCA. So I'm, I've been literally in the Y for 38 years. I started in a town called Evanston, Illinois, which I still consider to be my hometown, even though I've lived in Charlotte here for 21 years. But uh, but I was saying, you know, it's a place where you belong. And I, I started out literally in the black Y. So back in, uh, uh, in the sixties, there were black Y's and white Y's. So, so generally what I'm doing now, uh, what black Y's were actually in service to, which essentially the Y was in service to in 1844, uh, is boys. And I am the national director to improve the outcomes for boys and young men of color nationwide. I am on a journey uh, working with a variety of national partners to seed uh, tw- 100 cities, um, 10,000 boys uh, to increase the outcomes for boys younger than college. So it's wow. it's kind of a, you know, we have currently I'm working with 26 cities. Uh, we're about to ignite the second cohort. Uh, and uh, that focus is uh, grounded in uh, research. So it's kind of an interesting, right? Charlotte is uh, last in this research. Um, remember the economic mobility report from Indeed. Yep. Harvard Opportunity Insights. Uh, well, if you listen to the report and if you really listen to what Raj Chetty is saying after studying uh, essentially social security numbers over a 50 year period to, to ask if we won the, the war on poverty, <laughs> the answer is no. And uh, generally what he says, if you have black men, black boys, uh, indigenous boys or Latino boys, and you focus on that one population, it in fact heals a neighborhood, a city, and a nation. And so there's opportunity I, there, isn't there? Yeah, I'm giving back essentially as a black man. Uh, my hope is to seed more opportunity to serve uh, and 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 support uh, the way I got service and support. It's fantastic, and you are embodying embodiment of that and. I guess, Michael, as you work with communities, you work with young people across the country, what most concerns you? I mean, I guess that economic mobility is perhaps a headline for sure, or is there anything else that you think perhaps many of our listeners are wrestling with in their communities as well? Yeah, so this is what I would say broadly, and let me just ground it in Charlotte or uh, Evanston, Illinois is where I'm from. Uh, some, Some may know this. Uh, and I'll give you just a little bit of context to the group because this will help what concerns me. Um, first of all, let me just say what it is. Less talk, 
more action. <laughs> what concerns yes. me is, yes. does it doesn't really matter what it is. We have a ton of reports, we have a ton of research, but we don't have people actually leaning into with courage. Uh, uh, we got a lot of task groups um, to sort of solve problems, right? And the nonprofit sector in general, I think this is a disruptive period for us because we are in service to solve problems. Government actually created that designation so that we can do it. So what concerns me in the context broadly is let's talk more action. Uh, and what I would say to give people some context, my city, my hometown city is now going through one of the first cities to do reparations. Uh, wow. So they have policies on housing and so on and so forth. And I think that is so critical for them to take the first step uh, to, to, to try to seed right in my own community, a little town of eight square miles where the fifth ward is a particular place in Evanston that just hasn't had, uh, has had the systemic racism uh, through the journey of the couple of hundred years of its existence. And then I would say, uh, I'm also really, really good friends with the, the Blake family. If, if folks remember on the call, um, Jacob Blake, it was the young man who got shot seven times in the back in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Right, right. So it's a kind of a, 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 a what I would call a Jesus-like, some people may call it a coincidence, but I, there, so Jacob's grandfather was my family's pastor in Evanston, Illinois, and his father uh, is somebody I have known since he was nine. So wow. it's kind of a, you know, this is a moment where when you think about what I worry about is restorative practices or restorative justice, uh, reparations, those things are not just for black people. They're also healing uh, exercises for white people. For everybody. Yep. Just to be clear in the audience, because I always like to make this clear. I am a black man. I'm a Christ follower. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And I, there's a lot of designation and a difference for me on that. I also have a white wife who's a, who's Jewish. And so uh, when we say healing, I have the perspective because some people say, well, how do you how do you stay in your marriage? I'm like, well, she's in the front half of that Bible. I'm in the front and the back. Right. So, right, right. I leave her. I leave her at Matthew. But you know, <laughs> yeah, the first chapter of the New Testament. But I, I say to people, we're at a moment where let's talk more action is really important. And then Matthew, if you go down in the scripture, right, it's where Jesus flipped the tables. And the reason he flipped the tables is because he said you know, get those money changers out of my house. I told you not to not to bring them into my house. And he asked two questions. Are you unprepared or unshaken? Are you unprepared or unshaken? It's right. so important for us to believe we are prepared. No matter what your faith is, no matter what you follow, the purpose should be in this moment of chaos, right? Which creates alignment. That we have to get to a place where we're unshaken. Yeah, love that and thought-provoking and good advice. In fact, it reminds me, Michael, I had a guest named Logan Herring, wonderful leader in Wilmington, Delaware. And he talked about, yeah, too many nonprofit organizations are entangled in strategic planning, but not strategic execution. And it seems to me your comment about where too many task force, too many reports, we're not doing things. Is that what you're saying and that we need to be more action-oriented? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, we said this a little bit earlier I, I, um, in the, you know, in our sort of get to know you call. I, I think it's really important uh, for people to embrace the rays and raise the consciousness, right? We're in a, at a point of rage. <laughs> uh, 
And we need to embrace consciousness and the consciousness only can uh, solve problems through execution. Yep. It, it can't, you can't wallow in thought and failure is a lesson. <laughs> so, you know, I tell people strike out with courage, right? Get people around you. Uh, if you are focused on the right uh, issue uh, it, it, and you work with the people who, who, who uh, essentially are, uh, suffering from that condition, whatever the systemic racism issue is that we're causing, um, it or the systemic issue, not even just call it racism, just systemic issue. Right. Um, we need to fix systems, not symptoms. And so yes. if we can get if we can get to a place where we can act, uh, plan, do, study, act. Right. If you can plan, do it, study the doing, and then act again. Right. That is that is the grounding concept of the boy, our boys and young men of color strategy right we we plan then we do and then we step back and study it right and then we act again because that's where the innovation happens right uh, and i can't tell you how we're going to solve uh this problem but i can tell you i'm sitting with uh, 142 leaders across the, across the nation who are going to figure it out Yes. Yeah, the collective uh, wisdom, gonna, right? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna support them uh, uh, and their efforts to listen to our boys, listen to our families, listen to our neighborhoods, and then use what you're hearing. And, and Michael, you've obviously built on your experience of almost four decades in leadership yourself. Or has your thinking strategically evolved over that time? Uh, I guess you continue to build on new experiences, or how? As you think back to your early days, uh, you know, in the why and whatnot, how do you kind of compare that to now? Absolutely. I'm, I'm still evolving as a leader. I mean, I think if you're not evolving, you're lying <laughs> because you better be evolving as a leader. I'm still learning from, from my kids uh, and others. Uh, I always tell people I lead like a parent, right? I sort of um, challenge if I think I'm right. I listen if I think I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think, and the evolution of that is really important. Uh, let me give folks some some two like sort of grounding concepts that I because uh, we talked about this right the the sure. that is the book and I I always like to channel certain leaders in certain eras because I think we're in our second wave of civil rights I think Brian Stevenson would say there's not a first there wasn't a first uh, time period so but I would say you know James Baldwin is somebody I really I really uh, have channeled because I think you know writing in a time like that and sort of leading in a time like that uh, was really hard. Here's what he says. It, de it demands great spiritual resilience not to hate the hater whose foot is on your neck yes. and an even greater miracle of perception and perception and charity not to teach the child to hate. Okay, that's how I parent. That's how I lead the leaders. We, we can't lead with hate. <laughs> we lead with love in spite of it all, right? Even when we're talking about boys and young men of color. If we're really clear... Uh, we have to be mindful that even in our own communities, our black boys are killing each other. Yes. And how, why are they killing each other? It's because we haven't helped them understand you are killing somebody who looks like you. Okay, don't do that. Okay, so the amygdala is a really important uh, muscle in the, in the brain, right? It processes the sensory overload. And we have to get people to a place where we can process it. Let me use one more grounding statement. I think this sure. is why you... European woman that I don't know, but I've been sort of studying her a little bit. Petra Hermanis, I think is her last name. Uh, she says, if, if 
if you do not have a conscience, I cannot appeal to the absence of it. If you wow. do not have a conscience, I cannot appeal to the absence of it. We need conscious leaders. And so to our young leaders and to the audience, where I have evolved is to become more of a conscious leader. I too may have been uh, in my early years, I mean, you know, 10, or I, I would say somewhere around the 15 year mark. Yeah. Um, I decided I would no longer be a transactional leader. I would be a transfer, transformational leader. And from that period forward, uh, that was the trigger of making a decision to come to Charlotte. Um, I have always been in roles that I helped create. <laughs> I've not been in a role that was there generally before I helped co-create it. So in other words, including, if, if- Including the one I'm in now. Right, uh, there, right. There was no national director for boys young and of color. But I went to our CEO uh, in 2018. I happened to be in an African-American CEO network call. And I'm not a CEO, but they have- uh, embraced me to come into these calls nationally, and there was a national meeting, and we were studying the the Raj Chetty data, and I am one of a person who, as in my evolution, is I, if I hear things more than twice, I I, I say let's let's move, yeah, let's stop yeah. talking, <laughs> do something about it, right? Yeah, let's do something. About it. Well, and, and I'm I'm fascinated by your your description. I think that's thought provoking around transactional. Uh, employment, if you will, versus transformational. So if I'm showing up in my job and literally just kind of showing up and going home, that's something that should be a signal to me, right? That if my job and particularly in the nonprofit community building space, it needs to be transformational. So I guess it, as you run into people, that perhaps is a criteria you would want them to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Patton, I think so to, to my young leaders, this is what I say to them. If you see what you see and the you look for, you know, just one affirmation, right? And the boys tell you what you see, then you have to pick it up and move it. <laughs> so right. what you can't do is keep listening. I mean, families will tell you what policy is not good. Uh, families will tell you what practices or what programs are not good. Uh, so as a system leader, uh, as a nonprofit leader, right, we, we have a tendency to focus on the front three steps of the five steps of a, of a logic model, right? Right. Resources, activity, outputs. No, no. You got to get to the outcomes and the impact. What What is different as a result of what you know? How do you know it? Okay. And then how are you going to prove that you have changed it? And so that is for, for the nonprofit sector, for young leaders, and I would say broadly, but for any leader, but generally where, where I am challenging the young leaders that I'm working with is be the change. Stop yes. complaining about it. <laughs> Lead up. Uh, we're using a book called Decolonizing Wealth from uh, our good brother, Edgar Villanueva. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he says, you know, and I think this is really important for people to really think about because uh, he was just here in Charlotte. Actually, I was with him Sunday. Uh, and I believe he's from North Carolina, isn't he? From Eastern he North a, Carolina? He's a Lumbee Indian. Right. Uh, North Carolina. He is a uh, a Native American Indian. So it's, it's an interesting, but he basically says he, you know, we can use money as medicine. Uh, that is the inoculation. Uh, the resource allocation is the inoculation of the change. Right. Right. So in the period we're in in COVID, uh, for those, you know, I'm, I'm a um, believer in getting the vaccination. And so, you know, you need to get vaccinated, not, well, not just for yourself, but for the herd immunity so we can get back to a state where we can be with one another. Yes. 
Michael, let me get you to go back because I love your logic model. Would you mind walking us through those five elements again? And of course, I want to reinforce it's it's four and five. It sounds like that perhaps we need to think about as we self-assess our leadership. Yeah, I mean, you need to understand where are the resources, right? What activities will the resources fuel? Uh, then wh- who are you impacting? You know, the, what are the outputs? That's So one is resources, two is activities, three is outputs. Uh, then the, we have a tendency not to focus on outcomes, which is step four. Right. We measure sometimes out, outcomes and the volume of people that we're serving and the subject matter. So, okay, we're feeding 10,000 people meals. <laughs> okay, but yeah, the question would be is, is the next step is the impact is why do they need to be fed 10,000 meals? What right. is the symptom? <laughs> and you solve for the symptom which then gets you to the impact. Yeah, beautiful. And your point is many of us stop after the third step and perhaps we should be pushing further for that outcome and that impact that yeah, frankly I, I think, these communities need. Yeah, Patton, I do think, and, I, and you know, again, having been a nonprofit leader yourself, uh, you know, we've been training transactional leaders. <laughs> so, Sadly, you know, yes. Yeah, the people who are CEOs or you know, no matter what they look like or what the gender is, or, you know, if they're out of the non-binary, I mean, we've trained them to be transactional leaders. And I'm saying we have to train them to be transformational leaders. Yeah, well put. You study other organizations. I mean, you're in so many communities. And I wonder, I guess, again, as you grew up, so to speak, in your leadership journey, did you find yourself looking for models, examples, comparisons, or or how did you kind of come to that kind of conclusion? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, in the Boys of Color context, right, it's um, My Brother's Keeper, the Obama Foundation, Cities United, National League of Cities. Um, uh, I like uh, Strive uh, is an organization I like out of Cincinnati. Um, You know, there's so many. I mean, Yeah, no, good. I don't mean to quiz you on it, right? (laughs) Yeah, but no, no, but I think it is important to uh, check your bias too as a, as a, as a leader, right? Because I'm in a YMCA system that it'd be easy to just, but I've also studied my own history of the national organization. And so I think it's also important uh, to look at models of, of organizations. But if you're in a longstanding organization like myself, you should also look at the history. Yes. Right? Because I'm building on a model. And so the guy that I channel and I would say to people, you can get on to, we have a, the University of Minnesota actually uh, captures the Y archives. So we have archives, national archives that are you know available to anybody digitally. Um, I channel a guy named William Hunton. Um, and William Hunton um, was uh, a guy that's kind of really interesting uh, that came, he's a black man. Uh, so I'm going back to the boys and young men of color, but he is a black man that at the time was working uh, uh, in the late, early 1900s into the mid 1900s, he was working in Canada. And the guy, the, there's a guy named Richard Morris, who we, we call them general secretaries, which are now CEOs. Okay. Right. Uh, back, back in the day. But, but cause people forget the why is in, um, we're in 120 countries. Uh, so it's, you know, we, we are world leaders, so we can we can look at it in a world's place. But here's one one guy I'm channeling, and it's kind of interesting because this is to the to the tune of when you say modeling, right. you also have to model people. That's why I mentioned Baldwin 
uh, and this is William Hunton, but he, um, the, this is what they said to him when he was working with boys and young men of color in the 1940s. Uh, he worked to help the races see each other, <laughs> see each other. Interesting. Uh, so that he could transcend the traditions of prejudice and hate. Uh, General Secretary, the, the, the CEO at the time, Richard Morris, uh, warned him of the significant social sacrifices he would make leaving a more tolerant society of Canada to come to the United States. Right. Like, Holy cow. <laughs> you know, and so if you if you see that, right, is I think you also have to model certain leaders. I think if we go back, uh, you know, I've learned about this regardless of who the president of the United States was, but I always hear them channeling one particular president. Right. Right. They go back in history and they sort of channel uh, a particular president. And I think leaders, if you uh, want to model, you should you should be thinking about other organizations, check your bias, get outside your own system. But two, look at your own history if you have a long history or look at the model, the history of that organization and then go back and model a particular person. You don't uh, to leaders, young leaders are always tell them this. You don't lose yourself in the mo- in the in the movement or the moment, right? But you find yourself. Okay, so I found myself channeling William Hunton, not because I'm giving up self, <laughs> but I found his purpose to align to my purpose. That's fascinating. And in it, well, I knew you would reinforce the importance of being a student of philanthropy, of nonprofit, whatever sector you're in. Uh, the, a student of the history of your organization, it immediately struck me, Michael, I worked for Special Olympics International right out of college. And, and it now dawns on me based on your advice that understanding why Eunice Kennedy Shriver started the organization in her backyard in the 60s is relevant to the work that that organization does now. And so that's your point, right? Find someone to channel because often the history of your organization may lead to some wonderful examples. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the national, yeah, and so Special Olympics would be the same way, right? You had to probably channel, uh, you know, I don't know your full personal background, but you, you would have to get into who is in Special Olympics, what is that audience? Right. You kind of go back to why did someone start this, who I think was what was one of the Kennedys, right? Exactly. His sister, John F. Kennedy's sister, Eunice, started the organization based on another sister in their family that had intellectual disabilities. So so these are, right, is you, she started with her own personal experience. And she elevated something that she felt the need to be elevated. And I think for our young leaders is channel something in your own background experience. Even if you're 22, there's something that has happened that that is uh, uh, causing you to lean into whatever it is that you're leaning into, right? Because passion is only passion if it has a purpose. Well right? put. You, can, you can't run on passion. Passion is like, I always tell people, it's like having a nice fancy car and you ain't got no gasoline. Okay, right. purpose is what you need the gasoline. <laughs> you can't, it's not you, what do you want to have a nice shiny car sitting in your park? In your, yeah, uh, in driveway. the driveway. Yep. Yeah, you can't, but you can't get in it and use it, right? The radio's great, the battery works. But you got to have purpose is what puts the fuel and passion. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, Mike, I talked to a lot of nonprofit leaders that it, it can be overwhelming, kind of the volume of data, information, activity. Um, you know, they're, they're just trying to keep it all straight and, and frankly get accomplished what they need to the next day. Um, 
how do you stay organized? I mean, you're simultaneously looking in many directions, helping many people and many organizations. Have you found any tactics or activities that keep you kind of focused? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are three indicators uh, that, you know, I write, I try to write down everything, but, but three indicators for me, time, performance, and budget. Okay. Because it will be important to stay organized is if I need to move something, how much time do I have? Right. Does it, will it accelerate my performance or decelerate it? Accelerate it. Right. And then how much money do I have to, to how many resources do I have, right. To move it down the line. And so I stay very adaptable uh, to shifting strategy, depending on time, performance, and budget. Time is really an important indicator that people don't think about. Yep. Uh, and part of the reason that time is really important is because you learn if you take your time and you don't move too fast. First of all, you don't get people caught up in moving too fast because I've always found you can't sustain anything that moves too fast. Um, you know, you need others. I am the first follower concept, right? You can't turn a movement uh, into a moment or a moment into a movement unless you find others who will replicate something that you're doing. But it's really important to stay adaptable because when you stay adaptable uh, to your plan, right? You got to write it down. I got a nine page action plan that I started with two years ago. And when people ask me questions, right. depending on the time, we'll be, we'll go back and read the plan. <laughs> Stop asking me, read the plan. Yes. But I tell people that you also learn a lot if you give yourself time, right? Because the system will communicate to you or the problem that you're solving will communicate to you if you give it time. Let me, let me give you a practical example. Um, the practical example is we actually were going to start out with 20 cities. Okay. We're now at 26. What happened? The moment right now, right? We're in chaos. We're black and brown boys, black and indigenous boys. Right. And cities are calling me like, I need, I need to get in. Right. And I listened for a while, right. To see, okay, can they get in? Right. Uh, I'm going to name some names. I think they won't mind because they will know. Chicago was not a part of the first 20. Okay, mm. they came in. Why would you come in, right? Because it was happening in Chicago. <laughs> right. Uh, and they're like, well, you got to get in, right? Uh, um, there's other small, smaller cities, not just in large cities. Uh, and we, we chose those cities very intentionally on time because we knew in the broad concept of conservative and liberal, red and blue, right? This is a purple strategy. And so time is really important because people will tell you what you need to hear if you don't force the issue, right? Influence is over time, right? And you hear things. My own system sometimes is uh, either slow or will will have a tendency to put systems on top of the system. Right. Uh, which, which always supplant, you know, when you're in a big system, <laughs> always supplants <laughs> the strategy, right? So it's like, ah, 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 ah. Yeah, be careful, right? And so I tell people always, here's the, here's the, cue, the, the, the cueing point, the example. If you listen with intent and no one has asked you a question of your strategy, you pretty much know they have read it or they're not about it. <laughs> Interesting. And then, then you go back to your strategy. Well, hold on, hold on. You haven't asked me one question about the strategy. And so there you are selling, not serving. Selling, not serving. And so if you listen intently, you can hear if people are selling something, selling a system or serving. You know, I had a lot of vendors who want to be in, they want to do this with analytics, all this. And I listen, you know, you're selling, you're selling the product. Exactly. <laughs> and if you're not going to do it in service, 
then uh, I'm going to listen to you for 30 minutes, but at about 31 minutes, I'm going to be That's like, That's it. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, when I was early on in the, uh, in the national strategy, working with the national board, folks kept asking me about girls. Right. What about girls? What why about are we girls? doing? Yeah. Why are we doing something and, there? And say, so, so, so what about the strategy called boys and young men of color? We'll tell you about girls. There's a, there's a focus called targeted universalism. It was in slide three. In fact, you cannot solve the problem unless you disaggregate and focus, right, with the intent of solving the universal goal. And so if you're going to get to economic mobility, the disaggregated tactic would be focus on boys because once boys do better, girls do better. Once boys do better, families do better. Yeah. And if you look at the national data, it's not just black boys and brown boys, it's white boys too. So I would say to, to the readers, time as an indicator, as a data point, uh, and you, it means you also have to go back and look at your milestones, right? But it's, you know, I set out a goal to get to 100 cities in 2024. I have told my organization uh, that I will leave in 2023 and find the next leader, right? Wow, you're now, already why is that really, yeah. Now, why is that really important? Because some young leader of color, now it doesn't mean I'm leaving, by the way. What right. it means is I want to put the next leader in charge. And so the indicators are not always data and metrics. They're also milestones and opportunities. And so time, performance, and budget is the performance. I have key metrics, you know, that I'm focused on. That's the long-term goal, right? But you need short-term, strategic, and midterm objectives. So I also have to seed the next leader to transfer my relationships, uh, the, the purpose, to align the purpose, so that the next leader as a data point can lead through the next moment. That's yeah, fantastic. I mean, literally succession planning, right, Michael, which too many organizations, frankly, don't think about. You literally already have it on the calendar, so to speak. Yes. And let me just say this, because uh, I don't want to leave this before I think about it. You know, as an old guy, you know, you got to say what you think. <laughs> <laughs> but Pat, this is the other thing, um, which I learned over time, because I think you asked me this question at the age of 60. Here's one really important inflection moment. Because I've been in a number of initiatives. I've started a number of initiatives over my time and, and technically a, a number of nonprofits. I actually have a new nonprofit that I'm working on with that I think we just got filed. So, Oh, nice. Um, but what I tell people is time, you take as much time to leave something as you did joining something. Let me say it again. Yes. You take as much time to leave. So I am. I have been involved in things, right, that I – Someone asked me to join. I kind of get involved in it. I learn six months in. Ooh, I don't think they align with my purpose. It's not quite. Right. They're not thinking about it the way I think about it. And so I will take six months to leave. I wouldn't leave right away. Now, why is that? Right, because in the concept of belonging, which is so important for us right now, is it just because I didn't believe in the purpose, that particular person believed in the purpose then my way to belong to them, to support them with as much kindness as I can is to support them on the way out, right? The exit plan has to be as forgiving and intentional as the plan to get in and try to drive to the outcome. It's fascinating. So, it, it, oh, sorry to interrupt you, but I was no, just no, thinking- I was gonna say, uh, uh, make it practical in, in terms of my brother's keeper here in Charlotte. Which some people know um, 19 men were originally the founders, men of color, 
Uh, one white guy was uh, was was on the group. Uh, Twelve men are now the board members, right? We um, established that five hundred one c three. I was on that original group four years ago, but Don Thomas is our leader, and I tell Don this all the time. Don, I don't have architects syndrome, right? So I'm going to get out of your way, okay? Uh, and I'm going to take time to do that because I'm the board chair. Uh, I'm going to try to give as much time as I can, but. But Don, you are the leader. <laughs> so if I stay in front, then sometimes the architect syndrome, right? I may not have the, the best answers. Don is younger than me. Uh, he is closer to the ground. I would say I'm more uh, in the broad context of leadership. I may be somewhere between the Air Force and the Marines. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's a good analogy. Yes. You know, I mean, you know, because you need you need you need the Air Force. I yes, indeed. Know. But you also need the army. This is why the military forces are so important. You need the the Marines and, and the army, right? And I always say to Don, Don, my job is to also get some surveillance, even to be the Navy on the on the offshore. And I may tell you to slow down a minute and like let me let me let me bomb the bunker. Okay? Right, right. And then I'm gonna tell you to get out, right? I'm gonna punch a hole for you. Okay. And then you kind of come through. Uh and you know, I'll try to ease the way. Now, the reason I would do that is. Because then Don will replicate that, you know, pick a number, right? 10, 15, 20 years from now. He'll replicate punching holes for the leaders who are behind them. Yes, yes, and yes. Well, and I'm I'm still impressed with the analogy that you talk about. Uh, well, all of that, but the kind of we talk a lot about in organizations the onboarding and orientation and that ramp up into involvement, as you suggest. But often the departure is a sudden drop off the cliff. And so I, I love the fact you're making us think about that when you know that your departure will come and it will come at some point, you've been as thoughtful about that exit ramp as you were the on-ramp. Yeah. So it's it's sort of uh, the trick of parenting because you, you and I are both parents, good, you know, good parents. Indeed. But, you know, or we try to be right because you don't. Try, <laughs> I always tell people I don't. I don't try to be perfect. I just try to be. I, try I was going to take present. credit for that, so yeah, I don't know yeah, that I, I deserve be, it. Yeah, you try to be present, not perfect, right? So it's in presence, not imperfection. But generally, uh, the visual I like to use on parenting is somewhere between birth and eleven to twelve, depending on the maturity of your children. Right? You're you, and at least in my instance, me and my wife are in the driver's seat. Right. My kids are actually in the passenger seat, right? The resources in the back seat. Uh, our visual is to move. We, in our case, we have two beautiful boys, 25 and 28, Cole and Bo. Uh, uh, and uh, visually, what we, what we tried to do is move them into the driver's seat somewhere around 11 or 12, right? Because at 16, you're not in the car, right? So it's all voice. It's all, right. Right. It's all onboarding, you know? And uh, my sister called me this morning about, you know, her, we were talking about kids in general. And I was saying to her, you know, I never gave them, uh, I always gave them a life preserver with a rope, right? And I always told them, like, put the, put your arms around the life preserver. Uh, and I never got in the water with them after that age where they were formulating sense of self, right? The self-identity. What I was trying to do with them, the visualization of the car and moving them and to, you know, 16, you're not in the car is I would, you know, the rope, I wanted them to know, your mother and I have the rope. We'll pull you to the side. And this is what I would say with nonprofit leaders. We're going to tell you, okay, you okay? We're going to look in the eye. <laughs> you look like you were drowning. Are you all right? Okay. Yes, all right. yes. All right, listen, okay. There's rapids ahead. 
Okay. We're going to push you back out. Okay. You have to experience the rapids. Okay. But remember, we have the rope. Okay. We will meet you downstream. You are not alone. And so to the nonprofit leaders, we have to let them experience the rapid, right? While we're here, so that when we pull them over and say, you okay, because you didn't drown, you're living, right? The nonprofit's not dead. But but in order for us to get to the next inflection point, you must go through the rapids. Indeed. Yeah. Love the illustration uh, as you tie parenting and leadership together in a beautiful way. Um, in fact, let me hit you in this kind of final section with maybe some rapid fire. Uh, as we think about the talented next generation of leaders like Don Thomas, who you reference, I want to pick your brain now, Michael, with kind of key elements of advice you might offer someone like that and the many others you work with. Let me start with this because you do a, a fascinating program called Building Your Own Brand. And I wonder, how does that apply to leaders who they know it's not about them and the cause they support, but I guess as leaders, they do need to be sensitive to their brand. Is that correct? Yeah. So this is where you, you know, this is this whole notion. I use a hashtag arrive on purpose, right? Uh, you know, it's a yeah. juxtaposition and, and for, you know, a shameless plug is I have BYOB.team because I do speaking. Um, and so folks want to hear, you know, and I, and I do a lot of tweeting and social media. So, sure. but what, what you don't do is you don't give your brand away. Right. What you do is acculturate your brand into what it is that you're doing. And assimilation and acculturation are two very different strategies. And it's so important that uh, companies understand, nonprofits understand, whether you're for profit or not for profit. Right. You, we are our leaders. We know now uh, in an era where we have a hard time <laughs> recruiting talent and retaining talent. Yes. Um, it's because if they don't see the purpose inside the company, they don't come. But at the same time, uh, to our young leaders, you are building your own brand in every move. And so it's really, really important that you figure out what that is. You know, generally the brain front, front of the world doesn't develop sometime around 25. So uh, in spite of the odds, because my youngest son will always tell me, but I'm an outlier. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I might be pretty scientific. I've heard life. that line too. Yes. Yeah, but I'm an outlier. No, no, no. The frontal lobe is not fully developed. So, so the question is when you get sense of self, right? Seed sense of self to be the changes that you see. Don't. Uh, my oldest son, Cole, is my oldest son, uh, is in a hospital, but it took him a while, right? He, his brand, he, he graduated from University of Pittsburgh. He wanted to be in hospitals and then. He did environmental science. He figured out two years later, and went, what do you want to do? So he went back. All he's, right. a nuclear, he's a nuclear medicine technician. Um, my uh, youngest son said to me in high school, uh, he went to the University of Alabama and just got on the board of advisors for the University of Alabama. He graduated in 16. But he knew at 16, he said, I want to be uh, doing something in financial where I can change the world. I was like, what? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, he's a public sector consultant. Um he works for a company called Godhouse. He's about to move to Grant Thornton. And <clears throat> he is in the sector that he wanted, right? He's working with government. He's going to be uh, working with student loans and the forgiveness. And, you know, the, the um, it, you know, th th this is a purposeful thing that he, he was looking for. Right? I tell people, if you look for, if you know your brand and if you're looking for the change, you will find it. If you're not looking, because young people always tell me, I got my head down. I say, you better pick your head up because how you know you can see it. Yes, so yes, building yes. your own brand is so important. If you know who you are, 
then find yourself in the work. Don't lose it. Yeah, I love that. And, and of course, it, it harkens back to your earlier point of that's the kind of transformational work. Sounds like your son is seeking versus the transactional work that many, I think, young leaders kind of fall victim to. And that's a great illustration. Mm-hmm. What else is you think about kind of the lessons of leadership for this next generation of leaders, if you will? You know, you alluded to the building of both staff and board teams. Any any highlights there you would share or or offer advice on those areas, which I know nonprofit leaders listening are often wrestling with? Yeah, I find a lot of times we don't do good stewarding of people. Um, and so very quickly, I can say, you know, find everybody's one thing, right? Whether it's staff or board, right? And keep seeding the one thing. Keep, but ask them and let them declare the one thing, why did you come to this organization? Okay, then take that one thing and keep navigating it, keep seeding it, keep cultivating it. Because uh, it, it, it's not about their money, it's about them finding their purpose too. Because the right. money will come. Right? right. Yeah. Speaking of the money, you know, uh, nonprofit leaders everywhere, they may, may or may not like it, but raising funds is part of the job. How have you helped organizations and individual leaders kind of get comfortable with that, I guess, or how do you approach that important raising of funds? Well, generally same thing, right? Build a relationship, right? Get them to know you, uh, find their one thing. And then I say lead with curiosity and empathy. You know, uh, I get asked this a lot from our national office on, what would you ask a donor who was going to give you $5 million? (laughs) Right, right. And I say, well, let me ask you a question, sir, or ma'am, or whoever, you know, the non-binary. Uh, are you aware of the, the focus on boys and young men of color? Are you aware on the national data? Do, are you aware of it happening in your own hometown? I am. Okay, do you want to solve for that? I do. Then what else do I need to tell you? Yes, yeah. it's good fundraising <laughs> right there. Yeah, we need the $5 million because you see the problem. Uh, you can use your money as medicine, not as a uh, and as investment, right? Because you know, broadly, our kids will do one of two things when they get older. We know this as parents, right? They'll either make or take taxes. <laughs> right. Uh, we want right. them making taxes, right? We want them to file their 1040s because that's freedom <laughs> for the parents. <laughs> I think I told you this once before. I was like, no, I'm channeling, right? The economic mobility is grounded in two concepts. And when I'm talking to a really conservative donor, that making versus taking taxes is really, so you're going to complain, but then you're not going to invest. Right. Uh, you know, you, it's the silence, right? You just leave them there. Okay, so let's talk through it. I mean, there's an option to do I, something I about it. <laughs> if you have millions and you're going to keep complaining about something that you're not help solving with using money as medicine, then shame on you. Well put. A great way to articulate kind of the case for support that if you can articulate, as you just said, there is a clear issue, there is a solution. We just need your investment. That to me is a more compelling case for fundraising anyway, and perhaps is not something that the the young leader would dread doing. Yeah. And to to the donor, the last little point to the young leader is keep the donor involved. Right. And so get them in a room. So in my case, uh, but if you're in homelessness or whatever it is, uh, you know, housing stability, then what you would do is keep, you know, let them meet. In my case, it would be the boys. Yes. Right. Let the boys yes. tell them what how the the support because when boys realize somebody 
I'd pick a number in a local donor, right? Fifty thousand uh, dollars. I remember a moment in Food Lion years ago when we were doing something with um, high school students, and Food Lion had given fifty thousand dollars, and we let them announce it. And the the folks who were benefiting from the fifty thousand were in the audience. The healing and the excitement from the from the audience was like, you know, it was pandemonium. And why was it pandemonium? Because the organization was telling them that they were investing in them. Indeed. They believed, they believed in them. It's fantastic. And again, a good illustration to ponder as anyone listening thinks about fundraising and how it can represent the good work that's being done in so many communities. Um, one final question here, Michael, as we move to the finish line is th- there's stress in every sector right now. Obviously, the pandemic has exacerbated that everywhere. In the nonprofit sector, there's significant turnover. And I wonder if you have advice for those young leaders that maybe are feeling stressed, maybe feeling overwhelmed, and and sadly, maybe leaving their job. Uh, Would you have advice for them? Well, so uh, let me go back to uh, spiritual resilience. Um, uh, And I just, my, uh, both my sons, you know, when they get into frustration and they call me, I say, listen, if you are running from something, it will happen again. <laughs> so you yes. have to solve for what you believe the friction is, right? Because most of us want to run in the tension. Now, that is not to say if there's something, uh, me- mental abuse or something's going on that you got to really get out. Yeah, but, sure. Right. But I say generally to the people, if you are running for something, it will happen again. And so what you have to try to do is, deal with the enemy on the inside so you can deal with the enemy on the outside. Yeah. Great so advice. Spiritual resilience is Jesus never ran, you know, my context, he never ran from the problem. He never labeled the prostitute, right? He walked with her. He never labeled her job. He never labeled her occupation. She needed to do what she needed to do. Yep. He wanted to walk her out of it. And again, time, right, is don't just eject, right? Leave time to seed your way into the next strategy so that you don't run from one company to another company because usually you're going to run from something where you'll confront it again yes <laughs> and then you didn't build a bridge for yourself so you got to build build more bridges and it, it, anyway long long term short can i give one last uh, uh reference well absolutely I, I wanted to give you because i've got a page full of Great advice here. Notes that you have offered. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anything else you would add? Well, yeah, to the this self-care, list? the self-care is really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the oxygen when you get onto the plane. They always tell you to keep, you know, put it on yourself before you put it on others. Yes. And you have to really take that to heart and take that to be kind and take time for yourself if you're in a relationship. I have a very loving wife, a beautiful wife. There's nothing that I'm doing. I always tell people I'm 80% of who I am is who I am, but the 20% is she completes me. And my boys are generally, you know, and, you know, there's lots of extended family and friends, but it's really, really important. And I had two beautiful parents who loved on me and, you know, taught me about my potential. But the, the, the key is uh, shout out to my brother, Victor Nicholson, who gave me this Bible called the Rainbow Bible. It's a lesson based, uh, color coded Bible based on themes. Uh, and for me, I always just go to it, right? Because uh, it's called the Rainbow Bible. It's a um, um, Holman is the uh, is the is the publisher who publishes Bibles, but it's 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 a beautiful theme based Bible that gives you at least for me, and it's really practical. It's not in the King James version; it's very practical. right, right. Uh, and 
I would go back to get a book that really sparks you in channels, right? Is for me, it's the fire next time, but it's, um, and I got a myriad of books, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but I think it's uh, over time, I find myself going back to books uh, that I read 23, uh, 40 years ago. Wow. I'm reading them again, because there's something I must have gleaned because you really don't realize how much people and other things pour into you that you are really channeling usually something. I'm usually channeling my mother or father somewhere down the line, something, some advice that they gave me, but, you know, use the people or utilize the people around you to also affirm, confirm, codify things, notions that you have. Don't get caught up in your own place and whatever those tools are that you use, the resources go back to the resources. And that little statement about spiritual resilience or consciousness that I used early on, I have to go back and reference those because I have moments where I'm like, Lord, you did not ask me to do this. Right. <laughs> uh, and I have to go back. Spiritual resilience. Okay. Uh, I can't hate on the haters. Not just This is not just a race thing, right? The system, the non-system leaders who don't see the system or the people who don't have the kind of consciousness that I might have or believe that I have, right, is I can't adapt to the lack of consciousness. I need to go to a higher ground. Yes. Yes. It's fantastic. Michael, just like everything else you've shared, this is uh, thought-provoking wisdom for, frankly, leaders at any stage of their career. And I'm delighted that we'll be able to share this through this episode. And it's an unfair question, I know, given the many books that have touched you, but I, and you may have referenced it in our conversation just now, but is there one book you might lift up uh, that's been meaningful to you that might be a recommendation for someone on this journey like you? Well, there's an, the only other second book might be uh, Power Versus Force. Uh, and now the author escapes me, but it's Power Versus Force. Sure, I can find that. Because it's a, it's a lot more about influence. And I think people don't realize how much influence you actually have. Um, you know, I, I've watched you over the years and this is an incredible podcast. But, uh, and you, you know, people can say, say what they want, but, you know, almost 200 podcasts. You, you have people who are telling you about the influence that they've used through a story. Yes, yes. Um, you know, this power versus force. Anything that has been forced generally is not going to be sustainable. And so power versus force, right? Use your influence. Uh, use that to influence others. Never go alone. Never take the hill alone. Take as many people with you, which is the essence of that power versus force. Take people with you, Okay and lead the charge on the hill with, with others and then get behind the others so that you're not the first, you know, you might be the first person, but you're not the first follower. Take your first followers with you and put them out in front of you. It's fantastic. Thank we you. Will ab absolutely lift this up in the show notes that I'm going to encourage our listeners to check it out because uh, there are at least a half dozen resources, Michael, you've lifted up and certainly fire next time by Baldwin. Uh, needs to be up there and will be up there among the many great uh, suggestions you've made. Uh, the show notes will, in fact, include many ways, I guess, Michael, to connect with you. Where would you like people to learn more about you and the great work you're doing? Uh, the best way is on my website. And, uh, the Laura at BYOB.team is actually my wife. So uh, she actually sort of manages the calendar a little bit. Nice. Uh, 
uh, this is what is this teamwork, right? Makes the dream work. <laughs> right, uh, right. There's no I in team, right? That's I think Michael Jordan. <laughs> but uh, Laura at byob.team. That's my beautiful wife, Laura Duvall. And my website is byob.team. Wonderful. We will link that in much more on the show notes of this episode. And Michael, I'm very grateful. Thank you for joining me on the path. And I'm appreciative that you asked me. Well, I was delighted to follow you as well. And you keep up the good work and we will continue on this journey. Hey, just remember, soul doesn't have a color, brother. Amen to that. Thanks, Michael. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your professional journey and certainly enhance your leadership as well as the leaders around you. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Michael, his BYOB program, and the great work he's doing for the Y all across the country. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see the follow button easily available to link you to every of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of these weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And if you like this episode, check out the episodes button at the top of that page and you can scroll through what are now over 130 conversations just like this one with Michael. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.